of Grey Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And uh, a little longer transition there because we're all working out of the same area. And boy, CBN looks mighty different. we got renovations seriously underway. The entire hallway has been gutted, essentially, and uh, skeletal forms are being put in place for the new a perfect metaphor for the state of America's health care system. Anyway, um, obviously tomorrow is uh, kind of uh, probably going to make or break Hillary Clinton. Uh, I think we can do the analysis on it next week, but I'll just boldly predict that Obama will win Texas 53-47. Hillary's going to win Ohio, but very narrowly. And I think she'll also win in Rhode Island very narrowly, but Obama will Probably clobber her in uh, Vermont. Uh, uh, you know, of course, the last second debate and all these issues that have been popping up are interesting stuff. Just real quickly on NAFTA, uh, one of the most interesting things that I saw about NAFTA was from an article back on October 5th of 2007 by Bill Knowlton uh, in which the Pew Global Attitudes Project analyzed global attitudes uh, between, quote, free trade and uh, business, the growing ties between uh, business and government with respect to trade. And what's interesting about the poll is that America actually is the least inclined to favor free trade. Uh, The good is 59 percent, the bad is 36. And Egypt is the only country that uh, even has numbers remotely close to that. This uh, analyzed 47 countries and it's interesting to look at the uh, countries that are in the in the 90s or close to 90. They include places like South Africa, Chile, Bulgaria, India, Ghana, Bangladesh, Israel, the Ukraine, China, Kuwait, Malaysia, Kenya, Ivory Coast, and Senegal. So it's interesting that some of the um, African countries are the most disposed to free trade. And... Uh, 
Just to give you a, a taste of some other countries, Germany uh, views the trade situation as 85% good and 13% bad. Brazil, 72% good, 25% bad. And Japan, 72% good, 17% bad. So, so it's interesting that there's this new... Um, it's, it's, it's a sort of a rump movement uh, in the... Uh, Democratic Party, but it's mainly focused in the Midwestern states, Ohio, P Michigan, Illinois. And the this part is, of the country that took yeah. the biggest hit uh, economically from the collapse of manufacturing base here in America. Right. And of course, this manufacturing collapse really goes back uh, to the early 70s. This is not some new thing. Uh, it's important to remember that Bill Clinton ushered NAFTA through, but these were negotiations that had been underway under the so-called GATT. Mm -hmm. Uh, WTO um, trade movements that actually started in the in the well actually if you go back and you check out the history it started out at Bretton Woods uh, in 1944. So uh, this is an interesting development, and I think that in terms of wh where the Democrats are going with this, they do have to be somewhat cautious, in my opinion, um, overplaying this. Uh, this debate because it uh, probably won't it'll help them in a few states but hurt them in others and one of the big criticisms of the free trade business is how protected american agriculture ultimately is mm -hmm. this has had a debilitating impact on indigenous farmers in mexico for instance which explains part of the immigration problem and of course it hurts um african countries too and when you see that corn is being subsidized under this brain-damaged ethanol concept that's occurring. Look at the impact of this on food costs. Just last year, food and energy costs went up 13%. The government will tell us that inflation was quite low last year. I don't know what they're looking at. <laughs> As the joke says, if you don't have to eat, <clears throat> pay for energy, or purchase health care or education, we have no inflation, but... Let's face it, most Americans have to pay for that stuff. I think all generally uh, considered essentials. Uh, <laughs> last week, in fact, uh, according to an article in the Financial Times, the price of wheat soared 25% in one day. Yeah, it's, it's gone up almost by a factor of four since all of this, shall we say, agitating for uh, ethanol emerged as a, quote, energy policy that uh, some in Congress and the Bush administration were pushing back in uh, 2005. And obviously this will be an important issue uh, in the future. Yeah, this one's not going to go away because uh, what wheat is available and what land is available for wheat agriculture is itself limited and uh, shrinking in number. Most listeners are probably not aware that Saudi Arabia, in fact, grows most of its own wheat. But they are cutting back now because the water is too expensive to process. Mm -hmm. um, one of the few places in the world that actually has a number of desalinization plants up and running, very costly to run, and it doesn't make any economic sense for Saudi Arabia to grow its own wheat, even with wheat prices rising. And, of course, part of the wheat thing is that wheat and corn uh, and soybeans are off often alternated uh, you know, crop rotation as a concept, but more farmers have been planting corn as opposed to wheat, there's been some questionable weather. And, of course, wheat is critical globally for uh, what we call pasta and bread. And, the uh, staff of life. Maybe uh, some 
of the politicians in Washington should look at uh, some of the origins of the French Revolution. <laughs> Brad, dude. Yeah. Read little Victor Hugo. <coughs> we want bread, not your stinking badges. Well, the Middle East has been in the news uh, heavily. Um, a strange uh, long trip it was for the president of Iran into Iraq. <laughs> it makes you kind of wonder about... Uh, some of the uh, big picture concepts that the neoconservatives had in invading Iraq. Um, so that's very interesting. And of course, there's been Middle East violence. Well, yeah, we, I'll have some things to say about what's going on in Gaza in a moment. But first, you've got uh, uh, the Iranian president making a visit. Uh, of course, he's essentially one of the very few beneficiaries of America's involvement in Iraq. Um, and on the western portion of Iraq, Turkey uh, being brought quickly to heel after a, about a three-week-long uh, military incursion after the PKK. Uh, they deny uh, claims that the uh, withdrawal of Turkish troops uh, was a direct consequence of a visit from U.S. Defense Secretary Robert Gates. <clears throat> but in fact, they did uh, withdraw those troops the very next day. Bush... Uh, had been uh, on them for a few days about it uh, because he wanted to, quote, avoid sparking a wider conflict inside Iraq. <laughs> okay. It's hard to imagine a conflict much more widespread than the disarray that once was the sovereign state of Iraq. Um, certainly there is the potential for Turkish-Kurdish uh, actions to... Uh, worsen the state of that portion of the country, fairly stable uh, otherwise, but uh, yeah, the entire thing is pretty much already wider conflict, writ yeah. large. Yeah, and I would almost suggest that America had advanced knowledge that Turkey would withdraw the next day. That was why Bush had this hastily arranged press conference in which he sort of performed like a sophomore in high school. He sounded a little bit like Beavis and Butthead at times. And of course he Kind of resembles one of those guys. I can't remember which one, but <laughs> yeah, he's got that little that little laugh um, that is quite obnoxious. Um, and his performance was pathetic. We will give him a brain damage uh, award, by the way, for his lack of awareness about four dollar gallon of gasoline. Um, for the record, Mr. Bush, this actually occurred back in October of two thousand and seven. Back, interestingly, when oil was trading at $81 a barrel, yeah. um, I saw the gas station signs. And this, this, of course, was in California, but uh, California, because of uh, a different mix of fuel due to their environmental, stricter environmental standards, pay considerably more for gasoline than uh, people in uh, the red states. <laughs> um, so Bush gets a brain damage award. Uh, his, his father, of course was doomed in 92 when he uh, seemed to be unaware of the price of milk. Uh, yeah, he was actually amazed at the uh, scanning device yeah. that, that cash registers had been equipped with, with for a couple of years by then. Hadn't gone shopping in a while, and of course it's very interesting that milk and gasoline cost almost the same per gallon. Very, uh, very similar. So, uh, Mr. Bush, why don't you read the newspaper? Yeah, 
uh, that is probably beyond him. Beyond him. Quite frankly. Well, to touch briefly, as we uh, must, I think, here on the situation in Gaza, there's, you know, on the one hand, it's more of the same, right? It's rockets from Hamas-controlled territory, uh, killing a couple of Israelis and Israeli retaliations uh, with massive air power, resulting in a total of about 100 dead. Um, what's more startling than that, because, again, this has become sort of the norm, uh, is some of the language that was used by the uh, Israeli deputy defense minister. I'm not sure if you heard about this quote. This appears in Tobias Buck's article, uh, Israel intensifies attacks on Gaza. In a sign that Israel is moving closer to a larger military operation, although at this juncture they've withdrawn this morning, uh, senior politicians ratcheted up their rhetoric against Hamas. Uh, Deputy Defense Minister Matan Vilnai warning Palestinians of an impending Shoah. The Hebrew word means disaster or catastrophe, but is most commonly used to describe the Nazi Holocaust. Uh, Vilnai told the Israeli radio, quote, The more Qassam fire intensifies and the rockets reach a longer range, the Palestinians will bring upon themselves a bigger Shoah because we will use all our might to defend ourselves. Well, of course, the concept of learning from history is one of the most cherished traditions about that noble study is to learn from history to avoid repeating the mistakes. But... Uh, this is yet another reminder that the situation in Gaza is very, very analogous to the Warsaw Ghetto. Mm -hmm. uh, we have here a highly uh, concentrated, very densely populated area. Essentially, the entire thing is a refugee camp. Uh, people living in what are essentially temporary facilities for their entire lives, uh, dating back uh, decades at this point. Um, we've had extreme economic hardship. Uh, we've had near total sanctions in which electricity uh, has been cut off. And, you know, of course, there have been until this recent intense uh, violence forced Abbas to uh, basically step away from the so-called peace talks. Um, ongoing discussions between uh, Abbas, representing Fatah, and uh, Israel supposedly working towards peace but uh, this is a rather complex situation. But when you've got a very frustrated population uh, who essentially are economically crushed already and destroyed. Yeah, and we saw that, of course, uh, manifestly when the uh, Mr. Mubarak tear down that wall. Right. <laughs> of course, it was the Gazans right. that tore it Flooding down. Flooding out to go get supplies. But that was basically... Uh, a starvation situation, if Indeed. people will recall those events from several weeks ago. It was incredibly serious, and of course the United States said quite little about the problem. Right, and it's, it's almost a situation now where the increasing frustration that everyday life in Gaza is for the average citizen who wants to make sure their kids get to and from school safely, the more Israel takes away from the Gaza Strip, the less the Palestinians who live there have to lose. And so there's this, this is no way to uh, bring about a peaceful situation. In fact, there are probably a number of people in the Israeli military uh, who are pleased that the Qassam missile strikes afford them the opportunity uh, to go in with airstrikes and retaliate heavier. Um, it, it seems as though that must be the case. 
tragic situation all around. And certainly, um, not only have the Palestinians been robbed of uh, the opportunity to send their children to school and, in many cases, their homes, but essentially they've been robbed by the world community of their very humanity. Um, I wonder which American presidential candidate will first dare to acknowledge the human suffering of Palestinians. Well, unfortunately, that won't happen. No, it uh, won't. We, we, we know that the Democrats, unfortunately, are beholden to uh, some of the uh, interest groups that are connected to AIPAC. And, of course, there was a very interesting book published last year um, that was roughly, in, it, was, it was by John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt, uh, an advanced or sort of an, a, uh, an expansion of their article that appeared in the London Review of Books uh, several years ago that we talked, we've talked about several times on this show, uh, a book, by the way, that I read over the holidays, uh, the uh, Christmas, uh, New Year holidays, and well worth reading. And I'm once again reminded of an article that appeared in the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs uh, just from uh, several years ago, basically the April 2005 edition in which there's a special, uh, and I, I suspect that this article was used as a direct source uh, in the book by Walt and Mearsheimer. It's essentially the Israel Lobby mm. and APAC. that's the rough title, recently published, well worth reading. But it goes into the details of how the Israeli government takes uh, military and economic aid to continue and expand the occupation of the West Bank, for instance, that this aid is essentially at, in, at, at some level, as the article by uh, Cheryl MacArthur, a retired U.S. Foreign Service art, art, uh, officer and a consultant in the, quote, Washington, D.C. area, uh, wrote in this article in the April 2005 edition, Notes, quote, the U.S. gives Israel all of its economic aid directly in cash with no accounting required for how the funds are spent. Israel is allowed to spend 26.3% of its military aid from the foreign aid bill in Israel, clearly a subsidy to the Israeli defense industry at the expense of American defense contractors. Other countries receiving U.S. military aid have to spend 100% of it in the United States. And this does a little breakdown of, of the money, the military aid. And of course, the title of the article, and this was from several years ago, so obviously the number has gone up, but it says total direct aid to Israel conservatively estimated at almost $105 billion. And this basically goes back and analyzes the amount of aid that Israel has received since 1948 in a direct military and economic aid. For military aid, by the way, it's $46 billion. And for economic aid, it's $30 billion. And the United States, for reasons that remain unexplained, <laughs> um, have, have also subsidized immigration uh, into Israel, mainly uh, from uh, the former Soviet Union. And I've been hearing some interesting reports about how some of the uh, immigrants from the former Soviet Union are now returning to Russia because of the <coughs> dicey situation. And the pe people of Israel want peace more than the leaders do. A movie that just won the Academy Award here in the United States called No Country for Old Men or something like that 
it's almost too bad it wasn't called No Country for Old White Men, because this is the problem in America. This is the problem in Israel. We need new leaders. We need new thinking in America and, alas, in Israel. And it's very scary when you start to hear that Benjamin Netanyahu, a man who's we know from the past, boo-boo could be returning to lead Israel in the near future. Yeah, and that's partly uh, a reflection of the fact that the Knesset is split up with so many small ultra-religious parties that typically uh, coalition is kind of hobbled together, and it's very easy for uh, ruling parties to fall from power should one of these small uh, special religious parties pull away from the coalition. So the entire process is vulnerable uh, to extremism. <clears throat> and uh, it would be uh, sad indeed uh, should Netanyahu return to power. Uh, you'd think that the man would have been utterly uh, discredited um, his track record as a uh, Minister of Employment over there was, was not very good, although he's uh, telegenic and uh, played well to American audiences. Um, his uh, association with the Project for a New American Century, um, he was involved in uh, that. Yeah, and if you do an autopsy, shall we say, on the uh, origins of the Iraq War, you'll discover that some of the neoconservatives, the brainchild of this concept was a Benjamin Netanyahu plan developed in the mid-90s that uh, good old Doug Fife and Richard Pearl got involved with. I won't bother quoting the direct <laughs> characterization of Doug Fife by General Tommy Franks, <laughs> but it's to the effect of the stupidest M.O. <laughs> on the earth. Um, modus operandi. Yeah. And Doug Fife was lucky to have got out of town, as it were, um, simply with a resignation. He should have been investigated and probably indicted on any number of fraud uh, charges. Yeah, and, and there's potentially even treason. Yeah, well, there should be some more investigations into that whole clan um, because Paul Wolfowitz keeps resurfacing, I think uh, last word, he was back in the State Department working for <clears throat> his good friend Condoleezza Rice. Scary stuff, um, but uh, indicative that John McCain uh, definitely hopes that no country for old men uh, doesn't become a campaign slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it may indeed in his case. He says he looks forward to having a foreign policy debate with uh, one of the two Democrats. And I actually look forward to that debate, too, uh, admittedly with some sense of... Uh, well, that's one of Obama's repeated lines. I look forward to the debate. <laughs> he says so it every... starting to borrow from each other, but... He says it every, about four times every debate. Yeah. I look forward to the debate. Okay, well... Yeah, but uh, while you're uh, riffing on the uh, No Country for Old Men, uh, I want to quickly mention that that one, because it won so many Academy Awards, is likely to stay on the uh, big screens, I think, for a number of, you know, a couple of weeks yet. But uh, I have a feeling that There Will Be Blood is probably going to slip away from the big screens sooner even though it did win the Best Actor Academy Award, I strongly recommend that film. Yeah, I, I personally found it very powerful. thought that No Country for Old Men was a little overrated, but 
the Cohen brothers, you know, sometimes the Academy gives the the award for a body of work rather than this is true. I mean, I think this might have even happened well, with. Uh, I, I have yet to see No Country for Old Men. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, giving the plug here to There Will Be Blood. It, it's a it's a good movie, but the, I don't know. There's something about it. It it's just not. It's not the Cohen brothers' best movie in my book, but maybe I just. They're just as it's humorless, and maybe huh. that's the problem. Now the it. haircut looked kind of humorous. <laughs> Javier Bardem there. Oh but yeah. Have you seen There Will Be Blood? He looks a little bit like Mo. Hey, Mo. <laughs> or Emo Phillips. <laughs> Have you seen uh, There Will Be Blood? No, I haven't. Oh, you, um, I but really strongly I, recommend I am going to see it this week because, uh, yeah, Daniel Day-Lewis is certainly it's one a of... a riveting performance. One of the and, best actors uh, going. A, a pretty dark story that, that pits uh, in, an industrialist uh, against... And an explorer, really, and an industrialist, because it's so early in the uh, development of the oil fields. <clears throat> against a sort of uh, evangelical pretender that I think does a really nice job of illustrating some of the moral, ethical, and philosophical dichotomies that have both driven this country's development and doomed it. Yeah, and it's probably, you know, and I'm just basing this having not seen it but sort of seen the previews, it's probably a pretty accurate sort of description of the so-called Gilded Age. Um yeah, the lead-up to that yeah. today. Yeah, oil was discovered, I believe, in 1859 in Pennsylvania, of yep. all places. And interestingly, J.D. Rockefeller <laughs> made his money in Cleveland. That was the place where the original refineries in America cropped up. And if you uh, ever see the rusted-out areas of Cleveland, they resemble Detroit, unfortunately. And this, of course, is part of the... I think one of the, the sad things about these debates is they just focus on too much trivia about the campaign and not about the real issues that we need to be focused on. I'd like to hear more discussion about, you know, what are we what are we going to do about these urban areas that are decaying? I mean, literally, with the bridge collapse yeah. in uh, Minnesota. The infrastructure, the energy issues. We haven't They haven't even gone into any of this stuff, and it, there's just too much nonsense about, is he qualified to be president? Are you qualified? You know, blah, well, blah, blah. Well, surely one of them must be. <laughs> At this juncture. I, I, I kept wondering when the hell somebody was going to ask the voters in 2000 how George Bush was qualified to be president. He's by far the least qualified president we've ever had, and he's proven this over and over again. But he plays a president on TV pretty well. You know, he's got that shtick down, that acting so necessary to be the president. You know, the tough talk and the... I don't know, the sort of the surly... Uh, Devil-may-care arrogance. Yeah, contempt for everybody. But he knows we're going to smoke them out of their holes. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> um, we're getting a little low on time. Looks like we may have a couple of extra minutes. A couple extra minutes. I always uh, like the humorous side of America. This from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, dated the 9th of October, the Associated Press. A guy goes into a store at a supermarket in Pittsburgh with a, quote, hundred, um, a million-dollar bill and asks for change <laughs> at a giant eagle. The employee refused, and the manager confiscated the bogus bill, and the man flew into a rage. Well, I mean... 
what does he really think that a giant eagle has changed for a million in their in their drawers? <laughs> Says the man slammed an electronic funds transfer machine into the counter and reached for a scanner gun. <laughs> He's delusional on several levels. Then the police arrested. I'll price the you! Man. I'll price you! <laughs> the police arrested the man, who was not carrying identification. And he refused to give his name to authorities. He's being held in Allegheny County. Since 1969, the $100 bill is the largest bill in circulation. <laughs> Though I'm sure Pat Robertson has a few million <laughs> Grover Cleveland bills in his back pocket. Well, that's what you call folding money. <laughs> Gambling money. Uh, oh, boy. Well, well, he gets a brain damage award. Indeed. Here's another kind of a bizarre item. This is from the front page of the Financial Times of all places. North Korea has invited Eric Clapton to perform in Pyongyang. Oh. Now, this is an interesting proposition. Hopefully he'll do cocaine for them. <laughs> well, I was thinking if uh, he were only to play Wonderful Tonight, he could lull the entire nation of North Korea asleep. Uh, thus rendering U.N. Uh, missile and weapons inspectors uh, a window of opportunity to go in and dismantle the nukes while everybody yawns their way through, which is one of the most tired songs in the entire repertoire of Western music. But, uh, yes, his hits include Cocaine and Tears in Heaven, and one can only hope that Eric Clapton will accept this very interesting offer. Of course, the New York Philharmonic did recently perform Yeah, it. they did. And all jesting aside, ultimately cultural exchanges are, I think, the secret uh, to any relationship between states. Um, and so, for example, here in Ann Arbor, we live in a sort of a cultural wonderland. We might have an occasion to see a Korean dance ensemble or something. Um, uh, here in town, and hey, there's nothing better than Korean hip hop videos on YouTube. <laughs> um, so, especially course, when they're performed by North Koreans. <laughs> <laughs> People over there, they probably want to hear some Eric Clapton too. But uh, I think, uh, given the right mix of songs, this could be a golden opportunity. Well, hopefully he'll go, and Kim Jong Il, and he can maybe ret retire to the palatial estate that he dwells in and watch Daffy Duck cartoons. He apparently has an <laughs> obsession for watching Daffy Duck cartoons. I don't know if the CIA is hard at work analyzing the <laughs> Daffy Duck cartoons and why he loves them so, but there's something in that. Something it really is. Yeah. yeah, I always liked Daffy Duck a lot when I was a kid, too. He's probably my favorite of the Looney Tune characters outside really? of Bugs. But it was just his uh, his amoral greed that yeah I mean the character he was a little too loud for me I liked Bugs Bunny a lot better and I don't definitely know definitely more subtle I had a, a particular fondness for Foghorn Leghorn as well oh, but that's my dad's favorite yeah. <laughs> he's been sort of uh, changed over the years uh, due to his political incorrectness yeah in fact as a child but I think there's a great uh, Foghorn Leghorn involving chicken hawks that probably is applicable. <laughs> To today's political state of affairs. Indeed. Uh, you are listening to WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. This is the Gray Matters program, and uh, we've got a little extra time today. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. I'm not sure if we're going to go with music or uh, wait for Jerry to arrive. We can probably... Uh, oh, yeah, we can keep, keep rolling here. Uh, get a few clips for a couple minutes. Very interesting article, and I always like Paul Krugman uh, when he talks more about economics than politics. Uh, 
that's his field. His yeah, his so. politics are okay with me, but uh, <laughs> I think his economic analysis is, are very good. And since there's been a lot of discussion about NAFTA and free trade and, of course, the future of the whole business, here's a fascinating article from the 24th of April, 2006, 